Welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. I have Zach Martin, a planner at Ogilvy in Melbourne. He's, he's recently moved about an hour north of Melbourne. We've got a few topics we're going to get into today, but we're going to start with being interviewed. What's up, Zach? Hey, mate. I'm well. How are you? Good, good. So this is a do-over. I've done about 260 or so interviews for Sweathead now and... About five or six of them are usually because of the time zone situation where I'm interviewing someone in Australia, which means it's often going to be night time in New York. Uh, probably five or six of them, I admit that I've had a couple of glasses of wine and the last interview that we did was a couple of months ago and I was like, I wasn't happy with it. I felt obnoxious. I was pushing you around a little bit. Not that you didn't deserve it, but I was, I was <laughs> a bit more obnoxious because I was trying to get you to play with me. And I was like, why is Zach resisting me? I've known him for ages, generally, you know, from, at least from the internet. And so here we are today and we were thinking about what topic to talk about. And uh, let's start with being interviewed. Uh, you listen to some podcasts. Some of them are strategy podcasts. You've been on the internet publishing for ages. What's your vibe with getting interviewed? Do you like it? Don't like it? Love it? Fear it? Um, fear, certainly fear. I, like when you, uh, I think you shot me a tweet after our last interview saying we might have to do the do over. Like it just immediately filled me with this dread of, of, Oh my God, what did I do? What did I say? I am like, I've been writing online for a decade plus, And that's certainly my more comfortable medium where I get to sit with something for days or weeks and then tweak it and rewrite it and edit it. There's something like quite, sweat inducing about being on the sweathead podcast and i and like how many you've done 100 couple hundred interviews like every time i listen to them i just wonder how those people are so articulate and interesting and tell good anecdotes and an answer those really interesting questions mm-hmm. um whereas i suspect i don't know like i feel like most people do they don't have that skill they don't have a lot of experience like answering questions like this and i think as planners we're always the ones asking questions rather than answering. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like planning, research, strategy, they are great positions from which to observe the world and to feel close to it, but to really keep it at arm's length. And and I think that is, it is an interesting dynamic when all of a sudden you're not in control, when you're not presenting or you're not in control of a creative brief template or a present, like a presentation template uh, or in control of a meeting or a workshop. It's like, oh God, this is happening to me in real time. And I actually get excited about doing that to people who aren't usually in that, in, in that position. And I, I thought it would be a good topic to explore because often when we record, not everyone, but some people are just anxious. Like, am I going to say the wrong thing? Is somebody going to listen to this that I work with who possibly has power over me? Going to inter- are they going to interpret what I've said in a way that could damage me? Is this person interviewing me being sarcastic or serious? What's all that about? And I do feel like there's a bit of a customer journey around these interviews if you haven't done them where people freak out beforehand because there are no, for me at least, and for a lot of, uh, a lot of podcasts, that there are no, there's not a lot of preparation. I like to have a self-directed interview and I like the person that I'm interviewing to have a point of view on a topic they'd like to talk about. I want them to be invested in it. And having interviewed thousands of people, generally speaking, but hundreds here, I'm like, we'll find a conversation. Uh, and then, then there's a dynamic where I'm like, how can I bring this person out? How can I draw them out of themselves in a way that feels maybe like we're at a pub? Uh, 
And we had a bit of back and forth and I was like, oh, where's Zach? Because like he's done some pretty mischievous stuff on the internet. And and then I'm like, man, maybe Australia's changed since I've been there. And often when I interview people from back home, they're citing all the serious research that they've done, all the marketing academics. And I'm like, where's that fun person I used to know? And that, and, and that was something that I talked to you about and gave back to you in a very cheeky way because it's absolutely not my place to say those things or, or uh, maybe even to think them. But I, I was trying to just poke at you to draw you out and go, come on, come on, let me in, let me in. And then you come out, Zach. That's how it was supposed to work. Um, what else was on your mind since we last interviewed? You know, that, I like that's so interesting. Look, we spoke last time, I think you were drawing out the idea of, of where did the fun go that the Aussies are meant to bring to the table. Um, but I think for me, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I actually like being the focus of anything and like, like people will often be surprised when I say that because I do love presenting and I do love having my moment in the sun, but that's usually where I'm controlling the narrative or like I'm being fumbly, but I'm, I'm kind of, that's part of my thing. Whereas on the other end, I feel compelled to be very articulate and to make sure I'm bringing something to the table that has value and interest and humor and all these like pressures um, that I don't like. I don't, that's not generally who I am. But if we were at a pub right now, that would be a totally different vibe. Mm. Yeah. I, and when I'm interviewing Australians, English, Irish, Scottish, etc. I, I feel that I'm. Ex- I expect that I can get into that conversation differently and more readily. And uh, and sometimes it's like you're walking through a maze and you hit a wall and you're like, "Whoa! Why is there a wall here? This wall's not supposed to be here. I've been in this maze before. It wasn't there before. What's going on?" And I'm and and I've had a few interviews in the past year or two. I'm like, "Wow, is everyone really this serious? <laughs> the, the, why don't you like being in the spotlight? At least in this way." I think I, I think I'm just a background player. Like I really enjoy um, kind of contributing from the side and seeing something get up where I don't have to be the one who owns it. But I like I, I feel you know probably like most Australians very awkward about going deep into me rather than like even before this conversation we were like what are we going to talk about. I was like, oh, I read this article recently. And you're like, I don't want to talk about the article. <laughs> I, don't, I want to talk about you. And I, I think it's very easy for me to deflect into work rather than me. And I, that's just like I've always been that way where I'm very, very comfortable to observe mm-hmm. rather than, than be in it. Um, I don't know. That's, you can probably – what do you reckon drives uh, that behavior? Is it uh, is it a little bit also of, you know, you probably – know me from Zach Martin 10 years ago on the internet who did do some pretty silly things. Um, and now 10 years later, like we're all a little bit more grown up. We've all probably got a, a little bit more at stake, maybe from like a career point of view or even just like a, I don't know, friends and family. Uh, you can't, you can't be that silly teenager for forever. Can you? Dude, I'm going <laughs> to in the youth man section of TJ Maxx until I die. Uh, TJ Maxx is a store here. Youth men is essentially teenage. Yeah, you know, you can absolutely be, compared to any other time in history, you can remain a teenager forever. Like, Yeah, I know. You know I was, I, so I think one of the questions you asked last time was, um, what were some of the mischievous things that you did? And I, I didn't answer it then, but I remembered afterwards, I wrote a complaint to the Australian ad board who do all the... Like it's like the uh, the voluntary board that looks at all the advertising to decide what's acceptable, what's not. 
And it was just a complete piss take. Like I tried to write the most ridiculous complaint ever about a beer ad that was running at the time. Uh, And it got picked up by like the trade press. And then it was revealed that it was me. And it was kind of this like fun story cut to 10 years later. And like, I'm working for that client and I'm just like sitting there hoping that they don't Google my name and their brand and see that I wrote that complaint 10 years later. So Mm -hmm. there, you know, there are more consequences now. I don't think that actually would have any severe consequences other than a, a bit of a laugh. Um, but I am, I am much more aware now that like, you know, the, the shit you do as a, a young kid can sit around on the internet for a while. Uh, and I certainly, if you Google my name onto the second page, there's like some real fun, weird stories mm. that I'm pretty happy are on the second page and not on the first one. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly do see this dynamic. There's nothing to do with your, your personal psychology, but I, I see the dynamic of wanting to talk about an article or talking about something other than you, because you could use the article to get into you. I, I, I see it as a way to stay safe. Australian culture is very much about one downmanship and one upmanship, but it's, it's, difficult culture in a lot of ways because we don't like hierarchy we generally speaking and these are some stereotypes here but i I think something in the dna is of australia is that we don't like hierarchy and we don't like people who take themselves seriously we don't necessarily like posh people and that's a bit of an australian england thing uh it's just just what you grow up with it's weird my dad's from england he's not posh but uh you kind of uh my dad doesn't express any of these things. I'm bouncing around, Zach, but what I'm going to say is something hit me in therapy last year. I did about eight sessions. I know I've told this one before. And the therapist, I don't know what session we're in, four, four or five deep. And she said, you know, every time I ask you about your feelings, you tell me about someone else's feelings. And I'm sure she said that to hundreds of people. But I see it as an echo of the planner's behavior, of a planner's behavior where someone wants to talk to you about you and one of us cites a book, for example, <laughs> because we're like, here's a way for me to press escape on the deep and intimate part of this conversation. And Hey, I got some facts. <laughs> so I, I, it's partly to do with keeping yourself safe. And then obviously a lot of us uh, build careers and status around that behavior. And, uh, if it works for you, it's fine. I mean, I, I just, I just push, I push and it's, it's yeah, no, I, like I feel like, sometimes. Even right now, I feel compelled to end every sentence with a question that goes back to you, which is probably like not what you're after. Um, And I think that deflection is like two things that probably most Aussies, particularly blokes, would struggle with is like we are a very self-deprecating country. Um, And that probably maybe is part of that spotlight question. Um, But even like it took me a long time to work out that you know, your mates, it doesn't need to be a conversation where you pay out on each other constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of that same narrative of like deflecting the conversation. You, you can kind of create a story that is not about you by pushing it onto your mate. Uh, and it took me a long time to realize like you can actually have pretty real grown up conversations with your friends. It doesn't, mm-hmm. doesn't always have to be paying out on them or hanging shit on them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find that a little exhausting. I've been in it. I've done it. I've committed those atrocities before. And I, I guess I did it a little bit to you, but with slightly more American sensibilities, I'll have, you know, Zach, cause I've grown, I've matured, but the, I think also growing up, we pay a price for being overly expressive in Australia. And often we, in some weird way, we are envious of and admire the way that American kids can speak. And, 
you'll often see a young American child on the, on the news getting interviewed and they'll be really eloquent and like, oh yeah, I went down and, and just free in the way they communicate. That's not all Americans, but the, the ones who make it to the news like, oh yeah, this, this amazing thing happened. I was at the shopping mall and then this and then this and then this. Now, if you did the same interview with a, a, an Aussie at the same age, it would sound a bit like this. Oh yeah, I went to the shops. Yeah, like it, like we don't overexpress in case we get caught out because there's a put down a few seconds away from anything you say. It, 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 you, is this true? Am I speaking truth? Oh man, you're hitting me right in the feels right now. Like I don't think it's just sort of young teenagers. I think it's it, it carries right through twenties and and thirties plus. Even some of the guests you have had on who um, would be you know fairly young Americans early in their career, maybe like a junior planner. And I listen to them talk and they sound, you know, in a, an Australian context, they could be 30 or 40, just like that ability to pull together a story and tell it with such confidence mm. is I think like inherently American and, and Aussies just maybe don't have that. Mm. I read some theories around it that I've talked about before that maybe I, I won't get into because we should be talking about you, Zach. I don't want to talk about, about theories, but, but what, one of the things is that in America, you, you, you have to be an individual if you want to succeed. That's, that's part of the myth here. And to be an individual, you have to know what your story is and you get drilled on having a story. And a lot of the school activities are group activities. And uh, there's not kind of that monotone, short sentence, short word interaction that's set up for a banter. And while people outside of America might roll eyes at American optimism and American confidence and American individualism, there's something quite freeing about it. And it's definitely an energy I've, I've tried to connect to. And the, you know, the thing is, you know, want to get back into your mindset around the last interview in a second, but like I did radio for five years as a kid and didn't train for it, I fell into it and, uh, and I, I loved it. And at the same time, I kind of burnt out from that and, and publishing and I wanted to do audio, like podcast didn't interest me 10 years ago. I was like, oh, I mean, I've done that. Like, oh, who needs podcasts? Like, crap. And then, I was, and then I did a couple, I got interviewed a couple of times and I was like, hang on. There was an interview I did with a guy called Kehi. Uh, he was like a pretty senior at a very young age, a very senior finance guy. And he's been documenting his journey, not being a big finance guy uh, and trying to set up, you know, different revenue streams and trying to live a free life. And he, he, I did this interview with him down in Brooklyn and listening back to it, I was like, Oh, that's me in the same way that when I'm interviewing you, even though I'm talking way too much right now, I'm like, hang on, hang on, where's Zach? Because I, I've had that powerful experience. You know, I got a little bit often through life, get, I've gotten a bit lost. And every now and then I'll hear back a podcast or I've been interviewed and I'm like, oh my God, I think I was slightly coherent. That's, that's good. And the thing that I said in this interview, like a month ago, I still feel that and now I've got to do something about it. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So it's helped me stay tethered to myself. So that, that's, I, I feel the power in it, you know, but again, being in America, there's, there is more pressure on me to act like an individual in Australia. I don't know if it would get stamped out, but there'd sure be a lot more public sarcasm and cynicism about it. it not necessarily about what I'm doing, but there, there could be more uh, sarcasm and cynicism about it. Like, oh, you think you're, you're good, do you? <laughs> oh, we love to tear people down and, and you only need to go on to like, we have a, a trade press here called campaign brief that is notorious for just the, the awful comments that completely shred every piece of work that goes up there. It mm. uh, doesn't matter if you're, you're young or old or, or, you know, 
these poor juniors it's their first ad and they just get torn apart um we love to you know we love to to celebrate our tall poppy syndrome and, and anyone who's done anything remotely confident or out there um does so at the risk of, of I don't know, being called out on it uh, i mean i, I like I admire like the, what you're doing with the podcast, but like particularly the sessions where you're just walking around Central Park. Like, I I do not know if I could physically bring myself to talk into a microphone for an hour without you know, without a script or without at least a, a guide to get me through that. That's been that's been weird. I I don't even remember the first time I did it, but. I just thought, you know, dude, you keep wanting to take risks You're in America. Just do this thing, you weirdo. And I did it and uh, got decent feedback and people listened to it. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll do it again. And it just it helps me think. And I know I say this a little bit, but I think one of the reasons that I get frustrated if I find resistance in an interview is I, a lot of my intellectual and social life is built around sweathead. And... I can have conversations with people like you on the mic or off the mic that I don't get access to very much elsewhere. And so I look forward to them. I cherish them. And if I, if I know someone and I feel that there's a bit of resistance and I, I've re I've re-recorded a handful of podcasts and I'll be re-recording a few more from a, from a recent round as well. I'm like, Oh, come on. And I start to go, I'm like, this was for me too, you know, because, uh, yeah, but, uh, the one hour rambles are weird and I bet you could do it. Uh, who, who are some of the people that you've heard interviewed that you found surprisingly in a good way, eloquent? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't love using this example just cause I know he would like the fact that I'm using his name, but, um, I've worked pretty extensively with a consumer psychologist called Adam Ferrier, who, um, is inherently like a, pretty awkward guy but he's just an excellent interviewer because of his awkwardness and he really leans into it and he's always got something interesting to say but always does it in a really interesting way and then will be very happy to have a laugh at himself and if he says something that completely contradicts something you just said two minutes ago that'll be funny and and like there's i think that there's something interesting in that not everyone needs to be pitch perfect and uh and you can still have like these other characters out talking interviewing podcasting and he's one of them who i think is just like mm-hmm. really quite different to to anyone else at least in advertising mm-hmm. um and i like i mean i think that's i feel much more comfortable with that kind of approach where it doesn't have to be perfect um but you know he's he's still um he's miles ahead of of um where i would ever hope to be and he's one of those people i go oh geez wouldn't it be amazing if you could even be close to that kind of casual style, but yet still mm. super interesting, super fascinating, super cool stories. Uh, every time I listen to him, I'm, I'm in awe. Um, I uh, wish I could get close to that. Can I extract a couple of principles from, from I think, him as an example? Because uh, a lot of people who are good at talking, they're often prolific writers. And the thing about being a prolific writer, and you've written a lot in your time as well, is that you end up having this body of work that you can retrieve on demand, like a stand-up comedian. You know, you see a stand-up comedian on a uh, a late-night talk show. Usually, the interaction is one where the host, the interviewer, sets up the comedian to deliver jokes that they've agreed to deliver. And a lot of people who've done a lot of interviews, they've done a lot of writing. They they have these go-to bits and sound bites, and you'll often hear them repeated if you follow a particular person for a while. And then 
in having these sound bites, they also form these chains of logic so that in their minds, not everyone, like I'll separate people who are just doing interviews from a PR point of view. They've got a script, they've got key messages to land, but people who are interviewing and discussing things in public from a, you know, essentially as an intellectual pursuit, they'll have a, a chain of logic and they might run through it. And then the question was asked in, in a way that's just different enough that they're like, here's a new chain for this chain of logic. And, and I think that keeps people going. So first principles from that to me would be that having a body of work often formed through writing, it could be through talking, gives people more stuff to retrieve. That You use the word character as well. The second is, I, I think, people who are very confident, they're, they're connecting with a particular character. And you might see people get interviewed in different ways where they're accessing a variety of characters depending on the situation. Maybe there's the formal character, the excessively self-deprecating character, the character fumbling around, appears neurotic, and then amazing brilliance pops out. And I think it's useful to think about like, which character am, am I going to channel here? The third one is like, he's done a lot of interviews and he's been on stage a lot. So he's, he's practiced this kind of stuff. And like a stand-up comedian, he's probably paying attention to eyes or sounds to be like, oh, I should use that bit again. Who else do you enjoy from an interview point of view? You know, well, like before we jump on, I, like yeah, I, yeah. that is such an interesting point on one of the things I, I noticed from working with Adam is he does have a narrative at any given point in time and it will come through maybe like first it starts as a couple of client presentations, then it will sort of expand out through a couple of maybe interviews or articles that he writes. And then what I kind of noticed over a long period of time was it all ends up being a book mm-hmm. and then he closes that chapter off and yep. then goes into the next one. And there's probably a couple of different narratives going at once, but, but I think you're right. Like there's that depth of knowledge, then you have the ability to just pull anecdotes out or, or seamlessly connect them together. Like he's really good at, you know, I don't know if it's like every 18 months, there's a new story or a new opinion that all kind of builds and you collect tidbits over time. Um, but, yeah. but I think I wonder with that, like, do you end up feeling quite structured and, and, F- not forced to talk about that, but but you're right. Like you know, there's nothing worse if you have a favourite comedian who you follow, and then you hear the same story on one of the late night shows, and then you see it in their stand up, and then you see it in their radio interview. Like like yeah. there's a almost a pressure to keep uh, keep keep fresh. So I guess it's like how do you dig in deep to keep finding the new so that you're not repeating yourself. Well, you're still live. Right. So you're going to have that chain of logic. And then depending on what the other person says, you can mess with the chain a little bit. Uh, The way that your point of view on how Adam works is very similar to George Carlin. And I think he was one of the the earlier stand-up comedians who started to do like one, I'll call it a body of work, like one body of work per year. I think it ended often with like a, a special, he would start in small comedy clubs, work on the material, make his way into the big arenas towards the end, film it on TV, throw it out and start again. And it's when you hear stories like that of people who are deeply connected to their work, you're like, whoa, that's incredible. What sort of confidence and commitment to what you're doing as a way of life. But it's also, it's, it's not uncommon. Uh, and, and that kind of comes, I think the mentality there is a mentality of, of practice. Like talking is and writing, they're part of Adam's or my practice, your practice. I want to get good at them. I'm going to form points of view. I'm going to graph things onto them. I'll, I'll flip them around here and there, see what sticks and, and away we go. And the other thing through all of that is you start to get a stronger take for your style and 
putting things together very quickly in a way that sets you up to actually form a, a new story. So if we were talking about, um, you know, for example, I was writing language down that you used before you talked about being a background player contributing from the side. That's really interesting language for me. I don't know if you use it all the time, but that starts to become, there's a thesis for you that you could evolve from that. And I could have stopped this interview trajectory right there and gone, hey, let's talk about being a background player and contributing from the side. Uh, obviously, that sounds like uh, lyrics from a West Coast rap song as well. Okay. <laughs> I immediately heard music to it. But, you know, there's, there's language, it's just paying attention to the words you use. And, and in every interview or interaction, making sure that you leave with a phrase or two and writing them down. And that, I don't know, it sort of has this little trickle effect, but not everyone's into it. You don't have to be into it, but it's definitely a, a way of working that a lot of people get into. Yeah, and I think like I'm, I'm becoming a, a little bit more aware of that. Um, and even my kind of, my elevator pitch when I was freelancing was like, I'm not the best planner you will work with, but, you know, I can write a good brief or I'll work fast or something. So like I've always kind of positioned myself in that, that not a rock star persona but it's something like I'm, I'm conscious of and even since our interview I've actually done another podcast and I've decided like this year would mm. be a good year to start doing some of these things where I am a bit more out of my comfort zone and mm. not just relying on writing the 800 words for trade press because mm. I've done that before and you know like I'm relatively okay at that uh, and maybe I can push and you know test my my limits a little bit in some forums like this one where I'm I'm much less comfortable, but I do uh, something just popped into my head. I wonder like my age is also like a circumstance of, I see like some of the younger people in our agency who are so comfortable on camera mm. and are so comf comfortable, comfortable putting something up on Instagram or like even quite silly content where I was like kind of just at that age where that was not a part of my childhood or even my teenage years. Yep, like we yep. did not record. And yeah. so there are, of course there are people who, who, you know, our age who are very good at that stuff, but like it was, it was, we didn't have the same access mm -hmm. to the tech or the social platforms. Like it wasn't really a thing to put yourself on camera or to record. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up with none of that comfort. Mm -hmm. Whereas I, I see these other kids and they're like so conf confident putting anything up online. Um, and I, I wonder like, is, is there an age piece where like those formative years, we just, we just weren't on camera. And that's, if someone pulls out a camera now, I'm very happy to, disappear from the room and, and not be totally. on that footage or on that, on that mic. Let's talk cameras in a second. I mean, with audio, right? I, I'm aware that I've got a pretty deep voice. It, it doesn't work in all settings. And you, if people talk over me in, in meetings, which doesn't always happen, but there are, there've been environments that I've worked in in New York where I've been cut off often. Uh, and, and also in my, in my family life and friend life, actually, where not everyone's interested in anything, like anything that I think and say at times. Not being a victim, I'm just saying, I'll, 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 just, I'll just clam up. And so, again, that's why this format is really useful and important to me. Uh, I've, you know, I don't hate hearing my voice back in the way that a lot of people do, but also I, I joke around with myself. You know, I was thinking earlier today that my voice sounds like a foghorn spooning a Vivazuela, Vivazela. How do you say that? Vivazela. <laughs> oh my gosh. That South is African. We heard that all on the World Cup. So if you can imagine a foghorn spooning whatever instrument I'm talking about while eating marshmallows in a way that you're trying not to let the flies get in your mouth. That's how I sound. 
but I'm okay with it because I'm like, look, I need to do this. I need to do this. And at the same time, camera, if I see myself on camera, it's really, really difficult because my body's weird, man. Like I don't do a lot of the eye contact in a lot of the videos. I've, I was on TV in India and my eyes are darting all over the place. And sometimes my often, this happened in an interview I, I just watched back briefly with Rachel Mercer, who runs strategy at RGA in New York. Uh, my head does these sort of Stevie Wonder things and my eyes are darting all over the place. And I'm like, dude, you got to work on this. This is crazy because camera and being in front of people is so important in, in especially in America, right? If you want a uh, celebrity and a form of celebrity matters here, it, it, it really does. And it's not to be dismissed. For me, it's, it's, it's something for people to explore because rooms are different. If you come into a room and people have seen you in a particular way in America, it's, it's just different. You don't have to work as hard. And I remember around 2008, 2009, the first time I uh, wrote anything about this industry happened to be on Julian Cole's blog. And I, part of the reason that I kept doing it, because then I didn't want to be that guy writing and talking about advertising, but part of the reason I did it was like, I don't like having to fight for attention in rooms and I don't want to walk into a room well, I want to walk into fewer rooms in the future where people don't have some idea of what my point of view is. And that's, that's honestly what I, the way that I convinced myself to become that guy that I didn't want to become. So I was like transforming from this decade plus of being way closer to that, the, the kind of hip hop community in Australia. So I'm rambling a little bit, uh, but like, what's, um, how do you hear yourself when you've, when you hear yourself back? How do you understand your voice? Um, well, I think like many, you know, no one loves the sound of their own voice. I would be very hesitant to listen to this after the fact, not just for the voice, but for for what I say. Um, I personally love the dulcet tones of Mark Pollard walking around Central Park. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, I, I it's interesting because I feel very, very comfortable in a, put me in a boardroom, um, put me in, on a stage in front of, couple hundred people like I'm I'm pretty happy to turn on the mode where I need to be in boss mode and 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 present well and nail it and be a part of that debate or conversation but the thought of like a two-minute bit on tv would like that would absolutely be my worst nightmare and I don't know if that's because it's 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 recorded like there's permanence in that but I but I think there's such a different so far out of my comfort zone and I don't know what the difference is like I'm I'm happy to debate with the CMO, but, but give me an interview and I, you know, start sweating quite profusely. Do you, I mean, we were talking about that, the put down culture that a lot of us grew up with. Is there an echo of that in your resistance to being on camera? Like if you just paused for a second and had to, had to search forcefully for an answer, is there something about that, the tall poppy syndrome, the put down culture, like are you, what you think you're better than us being on camera now? Oh yeah. You're fancy. Are you? Yeah. Is there any oh, there must be. There must be. And I think, you know, the the deflection also pays into that. Like if you get a – if someone throws some shade your way, then you're going to deflect and throw back to them. Like I think that's how young men in Australia form friendships. Mm. And, and it's a, it was almost a, a sign of your – the strength of your friendship was how much you could pay out on someone and, and how thick your skin could be. Um, but it was never done with any sort of nasty tone. That's just like – almost how we were taught to, mm. to bond. Mm. And yeah, I'm sure that that comes through in, in kind of that more professional setting. Even still, I feel, you know, if I'm in a kind of high pressure situation, I will definitely revert back to, you know, steering the conversation towards making fun of either myself or, or, or someone else in kind of a jovial fun way. Like that's certainly my, my comfort zone. Um, mm. And in fact, you know, even still some of my best evenings with mates are like, 
at the pub having beers, talking shit to each other about each other. Um, but I think the balance, it's like that balance of like, you can also then like switch into a grown up, more serious mode. You can have a real conversation as well. So like that's the, the sort of straddle of, of mischievous holding on to that, but then yeah. being able to have a deeper meaningful when you need to. Yeah, it's it's well. That's good that you've got access to that. Cause a lot of a lot of people don't. Because the, and the thing is, you look at the statistics. And I haven't looked at them like super recently, but um, self harm, alcohol addiction, domestic violence, drug addiction. These things are not small in Australia, um, and I, there are obviously lots of reasons for it. But I feel like there is a repression in the culture and a. And a a physicality of violence that isn't in all cultures, but there's a weird one in ours. That you know, and, and that, I've become kind of more more conscious of that as like the you sort of read into anything. I've done a little bit of work on Movember in sort of their mental health space, mm-hmm. and there's something interesting. Like as blokes hit kind of that late twenties, mid thirties, when they start to actually like distance from all of their core friendship groups, mm-hmm. largely driven by family. Um, where, where you no longer have as much time or access to mates. And then that tragedy of like those people, you know, inevitably half of them will go through a divorce and then they've lost, you know, not only that core friendship group, but also what's now kind of defined as the best friend, which is the wife. Um, and you kind of then have nothing. And yeah. like, I think it's, it's a huge, huge problem, um, particularly in Australia where it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just the young Australians, it's that middle age where, we, we haven't held onto those friendships probably because they were built on paying out on each other, right? Well, uh, yeah, the research I've read, you see what I'm doing? I'm going, this thing I research, but like, I believe that in most couples, whether they're married or not, but in most couples, one of the partners plays a lead role in organizing the social life. Traditionally speaking, with a lot of Aussie men, that was the female partner in a heteronormative uh, relationship. And so the it can, these dynamics manifest in such strange ways but they can absolutely manifest in loneliness post-divorce and then uh, often men who are widowed tend to die younger than women who are widowed because they're not always good at re-establishing their social circle and loneliness hurts i was going to use the k word but i didn't want to, i don't want to trigger but loneliness can destroy people and it can absolutely lead to addiction from the research that I'm familiar with. Um, but let, let's, uh, you know, and I love talking about these things, but I also want to kind of talk a bit more about interviewing and, and getting interviewed. You've obviously listened to a, a lot of these interviews. You mentioned it earlier. What, what kinds of questions were you expecting? What kind of questions from you? Um, I mean, I guess, I guess I would be most comfortable when you take like control of this and, and then steer steer it, which you're doing, which is great. I feel, feel good. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, it, it is very strange for me to be unrehearsed and that's the nature of, of live and obviously like the nature of the casual conversation, but I am like, I would never walk into a meeting without knowing, not necessarily a script or anything like that, but like, I'm, mm. you know, if I'm, if I'm presenting or if I'm there, then I've got a, I've probably already got an opinion about something and I've probably already, you know, I know the, the content well enough that I can draw on it and mm. pull out what I need to pull out an anecdote or a story or a stat or something like this is, this is pretty foreign for me to be like completely white space and we could okay. go in any direction. And that, that's, that's unusual. Um, but I think that's good, right? That's probably what makes more interesting conversations come out. Yeah. Because, 
I use uh, I quote Marshall McLuhan every now and then, right? And oh, the irony of this quote, not irony, but the funny thing about this quote is that I watched an interview relatively recently, the past few years, with a very, very well-known Canadian intellectual, his name is, was, is Marshall McLuhan. He did an interview in Australia, and I think it's in 1977, and there was like a, a kind of a fake answer, a fake question from the audience, and it was Darren Hinch, who he was like in the audience back then, a young guy. Darren Hinch ended up being on television for a long time in Australia, but he was, he was asking this question as a fake member of the audience, I think. Uh, however, Marshall McLuhan explained this thought that he'd borrowed from a musician. It was that artists set traps, whether you go to stand-up comedy, whether you're looking at a beautiful painting on the wall, whether you're listening to an orchestra, the artists are trying to set traps. And so there is something in an interview like this where I always try to maintain a safe environment. I'll, I say that you're allowed to edit a few things out if you need to, but also I don't want to do crazy edits. Uh, I want an honest conversation, but I do not want you to feel compromised and caught out but that's different to the banter that's trying to get someone to say something they haven't said before and, and maybe understand themselves in a new way and feel like they're they're edging towards being in a trap and so i'm going to do that to you right now um and it's also like raising the stakes all, all good stories you raise the stakes and so an interview will will tend to do that uh you know i've never i've not studied all these things but i've, I've literally done thousands of them and every interview my brain is going dude you talk too much, you're mumbling, no one can understand your accent, your questions suck, you're asking the same question again. Oh, you're going to talk about yourself, right? You're going to ask someone a question, they're going to say something and you're going to draw it back to yourself, aren't you? And so in my head, these things are popping off pretty much every single second and yet I love doing it and I keep turning up for it. So I'm going to lay a trap for you or hopefully for the audience and I want to go back to the idea of being a background player, okay? And right now we're going to come up with five ways that if a plan is really a background player, so we're just going to go extreme. It's a comedic technique. You know it. We all know it. Uh, I'll, and I'll start with one just to buy you some time. So Zach Martin is such a background player that when he pitches, he pitches from outside the meeting room. <laughs> Two, Zach Martin is such a background player that... Give me one, Zach. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he asked for his name not to be on the credits of the ad when it goes up on campaign brief. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? <laughs> no, no, can you imagine? That's just so I don't get any of the hate on the comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I like it. We got two. Okay, three. Zach Martin is such a background player that... Um, what if we <laughs> turns, his, uh, turns his video off on Zoom <laughs> when he's presenting. Oh, yeah. Oh. I get that one. I got one for you. Zach Martin is such a background player that he runs workshops from other places of work that he doesn't even work at. <laughs> Let's do one more. Are you feeling okay? Are we laying a trap for you and maybe for the audience? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? That's the vibe of an interview. What's going to happen? Zach Martin is such a background player that finally he... Um, um, I'm blanking. And this is the, the trap that I've now fallen into. <laughs> um, Throw, what have you got? Throw one at me. <laughs> it's, I don't do it. It's, it's totally fine. But like you're in, you know, <laughs> this is a safe environment. Uh, what have we got? You would like me to repeat one, two, three, four, buy you some time. I'm going to go, Zach Martin is such a background player that he doesn't even work at Ogilvy in Melbourne anymore because he moved to a farm recently and he does all his planning from a farm and, and refuses to leave it forever. I don't know. It doesn't even make sense. I'm just saying words right now. Uh, but you see, there's a, there's a vibe in that part of the interview that I know this is meta and 
it's still blogging about blogging and tweeting about Twitter and maybe doing interviews about interviews and <laughs> presentations about how to do presentations. These, these things are probably some of the most popular uh, content themes that are still around these meta ones, right? But just then it's weird to be in it and then to have someone point something out. But like all we did just there, and you know this, is we allowed banter in a safe place and we're trying to essentially trying to one-up each other potentially or to say something that's slightly scandalous but still safe and it triggers emotion in us because otherwise it literally is me just droning on um and it's nice to have those kind of those sorts of set pieces where the interviewee has a few things to go to a few sound bites to go to and then there's potentially an implicit or an explicit understanding that the interviewer and interviewee in this type of interview are going to push each other and see what pops out as just as a bit of fun a bit of safe fun. And I, and I, yeah, say I mean, that, I, yeah. I, no, I love that. I, I do wonder though, by us having a podcast about podcasts or an interview about interviews, am I, or is that even a big deflection? Like to go meta is to, to not focus on, on something more substantial in front of you. When's the last time you cried? <laughs> God, we're going to switch gears. Um, I'm a bit of a, I'm a, I'm, I, I can tear up in a movie pretty comfortably. Which movie? Um, have you watched P.S. I Love You? I have not. Oh, I didn't want to watch it. I went to the cinema. I went to the theater to actually watch it years ago. And from memory, that's the movie where, is it an American guy and an Irish girl or something like that? They're in, they're in, I can't remember. But anyway, one, one of them passes away and then sends a letter to the person after they've passed away and it gives them instructions. And, and I was like, yo, I didn't even want to be here. And now I'm crying. Uh, but also that's a deflection because we're talking about, we don't have to talk about this topic, but you, you challenged me and I rose to it, Zach. You, Very you, good. you said we were deflecting. <laughs> now we're going to go deep on me again. Um, but you see, I, and again, I, I love pointing these things out and it's because you're allowing me to have fun here is that like, as I pushed, you could have just answered, but both times you've worked out how to buy yourself some kind of deflection where psychologically, you know that you're hoping that the pressure stops. You know, then that often happens in interviews where someone might say, oh, that's a really good question, or they might joke about the question to push it away. And, you know, I, I, we agreed to talk about interviewing, which I've not actually, I don't think I've done that before. And so I'm just pointing things out as we go. We're in safe hands. Um, what do you, so I'm going to deflect again, but, but in terms of you have obviously interviewed hundreds of people, what is the, as, as anyone in future who would be interviewed on a podcast like this, what is the the best piece of advice you can give or who is the best person you have interviewed that we can kind of learn from to like overcome some of these problems where I'm like, Oh, the pressure's building. I need to find a way to ease this out by deflecting. What, what's the advice to, to, to kind of run with it and to be really good at it. Be in it, you know, I, and it's probably these, these are ideas that I access through the times that I've done things like yoga and meditation, which I don't always do for very long, but like just, just be in it. You're there, right? Uh, sometimes when I interview people like, uh, who are powerful, it's what I've appreciated about the in, in people who've been on. I don't, I don't usually say sweathead and talk about podcasts and unpacking this and like I don't try to do that. But here we are. Uh, often powerful people are used to being asked questions and they don't ask questions back. And so it's quite funny when I'm talking because I'll dump in stories, and sometimes they'll 
yeah me as I'm talking because they're basic. They they're like, yeah, shut up, give me the next question. And I find that off-putting. Other people are very very talkative, and if it's fun and if it's interesting, it's great. But if if it doesn't land anywhere, like most of my uh, stream of consciousness stuff is like, okay, I'm going to push in now. I'm going to push in. But um, the 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 thing that I would hope for anyone listening to this, and we have not followed a script, and we're bouncing around as well. The thing that I would, I would really say is I've, I've interviewed, say, 250, 260 people in this industry now. One of my very first interviews ever was with Flavor Flav as a 19-year-old in his King's Cross Hotel for three hours with this massive bouncer called Casper uh, watching. And I don't know why that came up, but I was thinking back to one of my first like, face-to-face interviews, and it was, it was weird. So I took a photo of him and as he was rolling a blunt and Casper lunged for this cheap-ass camera. I never had any good equipment. This dude was huge. He was like 300 pounds. And uh, Flavor Flav was like, no, nah, it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. And that photo ended up being in Vice Magazine in Canada, actually. Um, uh, but the thing is that out of 250 interviews, we always find a conversation. The ones that are most difficult are usually if, if PR is involved. And so I don't, I'm not really ex- dealing with that right now because I've, I've found that if someone's operating from a place of power and they've got a PR team involved, if I have not approached them, that the interviews are more likely to shift. They tend to care less about my time. The, the PR people are often fussy. They want all the questions up front. Uh, then they want to hear the interview before it goes live. And then there's fussiness there. And I'm like, this, that's not what I'm about. Like, I don't have advertising on this. This is right now, at least. And maybe I won't ever, but I, I'm, I'm existing. This is not like, it, it might be a pro- promotional vehicle, but it is for people that I, you know, care about. I'm not buying into the way that things have to be. So the, the moral of what I'm trying to say there is to trust yourself that the conversation is going to happen. Most people I'm talking to, everyone actually is super intelligent and very involved with what they do. And then when I know that, and I believe it to be true, those two things to be true, when I sense resistance, I'm like, what's, where's this coming from? Because you're, you're safe, I'll say some dumb stuff and then I'll try to set like an extreme uh, edge that you can move towards, but you always find a conversation. That's kind of the, the moral to anyone who's thinking about doing more of these things and who's nervous about it. And we trust that Mark will edit in a way that makes us both look smart. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, first of all, I don't edit anymore. I've got, I've got uh, an awesome guy, Logan, who helps with that. And then uh, we, we shave 5 to 10% off and it's probably ums and ahs. And I, often it is just my silly questions or if I get stuck or something, but we don't shave much off. So trust that the conversation is going to happen and you've got to find out what you actually want to talk about. I'm totally aware that I've spoken for 80% of this interview about you being interviewed and about interviews in general. Um, and you know, of course, that's where I'm most comfortable. And the background, the 20%. No, and, and, and you see, the thing is you've, you've pushed back a little and deflected a, a little and then I'm like, okay, I'll talk then, that's fine. You know, because I'm here for me too, Zach. <laughs> I'm trying to satisfy my uh, social and intellectual needs as well. What were your thoughts in the lead up to redoing this? But they're the same. Um, I think I think you were. I mean, you were very generous when when you first hit me up after the first interview, and you said, "Oh, look, you know, it was Mark's fault." Whereas I went straight into like, "No, no, I'm sure it was my awkwardness." Um, I mean, I've you know, I've I feel better, and I think what actually helped was I did that other podcast in between, mm-hmm. and I think that actually went quite well. It hasn't been released yet into the world, so I'm not sure, you know, if I'll listen to that. But but that I felt. Um, kind of a lot more knowledgeable 
but also that was a, you know, there was a podcast about advertising that was not a podcast about Zach. And so I think I was in a more comfort, comfortable place and therefore kind of probably controlled that one in a way where I came out looking okay. Um, So I think that sort of helped me get to this. Hmm. Um, And and I am thinking, yeah. Did you have a heads up of what the topic was going to be beforehand? Were you able to prepare for it or was it off the cuff? No, it was pretty loose, but it was, you know, like it was, a, it's a business podcast and I knew they were coming to me for kind of like, you know, how big brands think about advertising and that stuff I can wheel out pretty easily and mm. refer to all that great research and things that I, I will fall back on. So I think that's like my bread and butter. So mm. this is, this is a, a push beyond that. And I guess right. that's the next thing I need to, you know, that's, that's like, how do you shift from being the expert to being much more personable and being comfortable in, in the front seat as opposed to the back seat. Right. It's funny when I teach qualitative research, like one-on-one specifically interviews, not just qualitative research in general, but interviewing people, I'll play them clippings of journalists interviewing people. And one of them is actually, you know, that kid in Australia, there was like, uh, what's his name? Corey. And he had these six sunglasses and he refused Corey to Corey his... Worthington. Yeah. And like he, there was a party in his street and the street got trashed and then they put him on national news and the interviewer was like, well, why don't you apologize to everyone, Corey? And he goes, nah. And she's like, why don't you take your sunglasses off? And he goes, because they're sick. And the thing is like, if you watch a few of these interviews, think about the goal of the interviewer the goal of that interview was to dominate this guy and get him to apologize to Australia and to all the people in that area for trashing the place. So think about the goal of the interviewer. And then there are going to be certain conventions and tropes. So uh, for this one in particular, yeah, I'm going to throw in some anecdotes. I'm going to throw in a weird question. I'm going to try to draw you out. We might spontaneously talk about a creative brief or how you'd run a workshop or something. There's going to be that sort of stuff. But you could listen to one or two for those, for those of you who uh, might be doing interviews with people soon, think about what's the context of this? What's the goal of the interviewer? What are some of their techniques? Do they listen? Do they have follow-up questions? Are they snarky? Are they trying to catch you out? And you can establish a kind of operating system or culture, try to predict the culture for the interview because each, each interview will have its own culture or each person, each interviewer will have its own culture as well. How would you describe the goal of the interview that you did for the business podcast? What was the goal of the interviewer? I think it's um, it was like it's shining a light on different functions within businesses, um, kind of broadly a marketing lens. So that was that was you know here's an expert. I hate using that word, but let's say that's what I am. So come in and 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 tell us you know, how are you talking to clients? What are the things that um, most clients overlook? How can that be applied to other categories or other industries? And it was it's very much like uncover some, some probably some foundational elements of, of advertising mm-hmm. and surface them so that they're, you know, okay. bite-sized enough that people can take them and then run with them as, as advice okay. that they is can it, use in their own it, lens. Is it strictly the interviewer, asking questions? Do they tell anecdotes? Do they share case studies and thoughts? Is it, is it purely question from interview? No, no, it was a bit back and forth, right? Like okay. it's probably not too dissimilar to this where they can reflect on that answer and apply it to, oh, well, I interviewed this bloke and he said this thing as well. And that's yeah. kind of interesting. So yeah, like a little bit probably more, even more riffing than, than this one, I would say. Well, we've been total riffing. Uh, and I often 
beat myself up about. I'm like, dude, like stop total riffing all the time. Uh, and uh, so are there like hard segues, non sequiturs? Are there, did that interview jump into topics or examples where you're like, whoa, where did that come from? Let me go into that. I mean, he didn't ask me when was the last time I cried, <laughs> if that's what you're wondering. Don't stick to me in an interview, Zach. That's, what, that's all I'm saying. Like, you're going you're gonna to get a question. You're going to get a question like that. Okay. But so there were some segues there, right? Uh, did the, so the interviewer was involved. It was a conversation. The interviewer told some of their own stories in the interviews. That you know what I reckon well, it maybe one of the reasons it, it went relatively smoothly was he's only sort of starting up himself. Okay. So this might've been, you know, interview number 30, maybe even less for him. Okay. So there was, it was, there was a common, um, a commonality of us both. Like we're both pretty new at this. We're both finding our feet, we're both working out how this is going to work and not work. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think with you, like there's, you know, you've been doing it for a while. So there is a bit of a, a difference there that I'm very aware of. Okay. No, I, I understand that. I don't, feel that within what I do, but I, I understand that if, you know, if you're listening to an Aussie doing a podcast about advertising in New York and you're in Australia and you, you've known the person for 10 years, it's like, whoa, that, and, and you've had the voice in your ears. It's, it's funny. Like I've, um, I'm trying not to be too self-aware in an obnoxious way. I'm trying to work out how to say things that are kind of self-aware, but useful. But I've, I've noticed in some environments that I've been into, some environments, what am I saying this for? This is, I'm now deflecting for myself, but like <laughs> having been in a few foreign countries recently, sometimes there are people who've listened to the podcast and there's a different look in their eyes and often they'll focus on my eyes or, or my mouth as I'm talking. And it's not just to work out what kind of English I'm speaking, but that, and I'm like, oh, that there's something that's a bit different for them uh, compared to many of my other interactions in the world where people are like, oh, dad, you're home again. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, so I, I can understand how there's a different, potentially a different vibe there. Um, yeah. but that's You're a, my, you're a that's celebrity your now, Mark. No, not, not what I was going for because the thing is like, whatever that is, that's in your head, right? <laughs> it's definitely not in mine. And I don't, I don't bring it into this, right? You're bringing it in. Um, I, don't, I don't know how to riff from here. <laughs> Zach, you're stuck. Where to from here, but Yeah, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. <laughs> You've turned this interview into me just talking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Take responsibility, Zach Martin. Oh, God. Um, Zach yeah, Martin cool. <laughs> is such a background player that he turns interviews... About him. <laughs> about him into interviews about the interviewer. I like it. It's Love it. That's it. <laughs> okay. So someone who's listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, like I, w- I want to get interviewed and I want to do it well. Three pieces of advice from Zach Martin with zero deflection. Um, number one, I, like you just have to jump into it. So when you hit me up, it would have been very easy to find an excuse not to do that. But I think like all good things, if you practice it, you get better at it. It's a muscle and you can work on it. So, like, I'm going to try and do a few more of these this year just to not be so awful. Uh, that would be number one. Number two is I wonder if you do need to have something you can fall back on and not, not as a safety net but as um, a little bit of a, a steer on a narrative point of view. So, even at the start of this, when you say, what do you want to talk about today? You've got, you know, a handful of things that you can kind of throw out there and then the interviewer can pick up and, and run with some of those, some threads that they can pull on. Um, and the third one would be based off this interview is probably more of just like totally be who you are and don't sweat about the fact that 
it's being recorded and then it will be around forever if someone wants to find it and that, you know, someone from your work or one of your clients is going to listen to it. I think you just got to run with who you are. And if you are an awkward human being who, uh, who doesn't get interviewed a lot, then, then that's totally all right. And you can just run with that and, yeah. and that can be your character for that interview. And, and that's cool. Yeah. Like again, in stand up comedy, there's an idea or a concept, uh, commit to the bit. So if you sense that you're awkward, turn it up. You know, maybe every time I'm on camera now, I, I've seriously thought about this. Maybe every time I'm on camera now, if I want to do it, which I, I do want to do it, I want to explore that medium. Maybe I should have like some weird object covering my eyes because apparently my eyes are incapable of looking at the camera. That would be, be me committing to the bit, a little bit gimmicky, but why not explore these ideas? If you have a need to express and a need to engage and you are finding that there are certain constraints in you doing it, turn them into like a creative opportunity. There's nothing, nothing wrong with that kind of stuff. The other thing that I think you can do is, well, first of all, some people will do great preparation for an interview. Uh, I tend, I like the interviews to be self-directed. I like the person to have a topic in mind. I'll usually bring one in, but if someone's starting out and they're a bit nervous, I take notes for all the interviews. And sometimes I'll take notes beforehand take your own notes, bring your notes, bring the things you want to talk about written down to an interview. Because if you get carried away or a segue becomes a non sequitur and then you're like, where are we now? I can't, are we in the middle of the forest here? How do we get out of this? You can go, okay, I got, I got point three that I want to talk about. So you can take, uh, not control, but you can assert yourself back into the interview in a way that I believe a lot of people would do well to do when they're doing job interviews, when they're getting interviewed for a job, assert yourself. Hey, I, it's great. I've heard about your company. I'd love to run you through my portfolio. It'll only take five minutes. Would you, would you mind me doing that? Oh, go for it. Yeah. So there are those kinds of techniques that are available to people as well. Love it. Love it. I'm, I'm taking notes as we speak, mate. I think this has been good. Better than last time, would you say? <laughs> uh, see, now I feel like I've been mean to you and... Um, then I have to say, well, did I have fun? Did Zach have fun? Was I mean to him and he had fun and I had fun? In which case, that's okay. Otherwise, it's just a bit of fun banter and I can't see your eyes, so I don't know. No, I, um, think, I think the thing is like you talk about your eyes, but, but I guess the other sort of thing to keep in mind is no one else cares about your eyes except Mark, right? Mm. And in the same way, no one's probably too concerned if I fuck up a word or, or misspeak, you know, anything it doesn't make sense, then you know, we just overlook it. Like we're obviously very conscious of ourselves and our world and how we present, but but I guess the reality is no one else really picks up on all that small stuff. No one else cares enough to to, you know, prompt it. Um has anyone ever mentioned to you anything about your eyes or is that just a Mark Pollard thing? That's a Mark Pollard thing. People, there you go. people are making it's all dudes as well. People are making fun of my hair these days as my hair runs through its uh midlife crisis and Whatever, whatever is post-mullet, that's what's going on. So in the past uh, week or two, I probably had 10, 10 comments from dudes, uh, plus a couple of people in my family that I live with. But, you know, hey. <laughs> but no, no, the, the eyes thing, I, I don't really get. It's just, it's just, I'm saying this not to trap anyone here in sad emotion. I've talked about it a bit, but I'm pretty good at sadness and melancholy. And so there's something about when I, when I, when I see myself on camera, either doing a TEDx talk or on TV in India or the videos that I'm doing now where I really see this sad young Mark. I don't, my eyes look dead to me and my face doesn't move much and I'm going to work on it. I'm going to do as best I can. My voice is monotone, but I see a sad person. Um, Every now and then, though, when I've listened back or watched back to, back to things, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's not actually 
me. Like there is a confident, outspoken person who likes to have a chat with people. And so audio and, and video recordings have helped me. They've been good therapy, dude. That's what I'm saying. Mm, and maybe I need to do more of it. Maybe it's up to you. Like I'm just, you know, pushing you around to see what comes out. I, I, you know, I do feel a little bit guilty that you got a brilliant brain and we didn't access the brilliance in it in a way that would have been faithful to the brilliance in it. But I appreciate you being vulnerable with me today and turning this interview about you into me just talking. That was very, <laughs> very smart, Zach. Background player. There we go. But no, thanks <laughs> yeah, for uh, like this is good. Like this is the sort of shit it actually makes you develop, as opposed to me regurgitating something that Byron Sharp said once, right? <laughs> yeah, but I'm, you need a t-shirt with background player on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe when you start making some sweathead t-shirts, we'll do that. <laughs> They're coming. That'd actually be a really good t-shirt for a lot of people I know who happen to work in planning, Zach. <laughs> it's true. A lot of us are confident in some ways and then deeply shy in 99% of our lives. It's quite funny. Not everyone, but a few. Uh, Zach, if people want to follow you up and hassle you for interview advice or perhaps follow along as your interview career takes off, where can they find you? Um, best to hit me up on LinkedIn or Twitter, Zach Martin. Or if you want to read about the boring stuff, then you can go to pigsdon'tfly.com. And I gave you some shtick for this last time. Pigs Don't Fly is an hilarious name for a blog. And then I was like, hey, where's that guy? Where's that guy? Where's, why have we got serious Zach today? What's going on? Yeah, totally. I had about three glasses of big glasses of red wine. Uh, but at the same time, Pigs Don't Fly. Where's that Zach? You got it in there. I, I got a friend, uh, Gerald McGrath, who's super, he does such amazing work in Toronto in the art scene and the, the I guess, government funded art scene there uh he's, he's a lovely dude and we've had great times and then sometimes in public i see him being really serious and academic and so i've given him this name and it's rap jerry and <laughs> we joke about it because every now and then we'll share writing and i'm like where's rap jerry um and you know what who, who am i to do that but people keep turning up for it so i do it let's just silence otherwise zach <clears throat> am i right yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I, Pigs Don't Fly is something someone wrote in my grade book in like grade two, and it's just stuck with me as someone who hates bullshit. Uh, that is that is how I call it out, and that's who I love to be. Um, but I don't feel like I've called out enough bullshit on this podcast. Well, I don't know. I gave you, <laughs> I, I gave you an infinite amount of bullshit to call out as well. I mean, I was doing most of the talking, Zach. True, but maybe you're just speaking I'm, such good truth that there's nothing yeah. to call out. Like you go on deep and personal, who am I to call you out? And then we'd be reverting back to our payout culture that, that you and I probably grew up with. I know. I'm t I just did it to you. I'm so sorry. I, uh, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm obnoxious. I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> oh, Zach, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Let me know when, the, or let us all know when these other interviews go live and we'll, uh, we'll check them out. Cool, mate. Thanks for having me. No, mate. Please.